Welcome to Question Period. I'm Joyce Napier. Evan Solomon is in self-isolation. He'll join us later in the show. Today on the program, Canadians in quarantine. We are launching Canada's plan to mobilize industry to fight COVID-19, to ensure that we can quickly produce here in Canada the things we need. Cities across the country have turned into ghost towns as Canadians stay home to try to stop the spread of the coronavirus. How long will people need to keep their distance before the coast is clear from COVID-19? Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland joins us. Plus, New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs weighs in on why his province declared a state of emergency. Then, economic aid. COVID-19 is an extraordinary challenge that requires an extraordinary investment. The federal government has announced an $82 billion aid package to help businesses and individuals struggling to make ends meet. When will the money make its way into the pockets of those who need it? Two experts from the business community give us their thoughts on the plan. Plus, border shutdown. Both Canada and the United States will temporarily restrict all non-essential travel across the Canada-US border. Tourists and travelers are banned from entering the country with only Canadian citizens, permanent residents and essential trade allowed in. Did the decision come too late? Former US Ambassador Bruce Heyman and former Deputy Prime Minister Anne McClellan joined the scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. This initiative will help companies that are already making things like masks, ventilators and hand sanitizer to massively scale up production. It will also provide support who those who, to those who want to retool their manufacturing facilities to contribute to this fight, fight. The federal government is ramping up production of medical supplies like hand sanitizers, face masks and ventilators to prepare for a growing number of coronavirus cases in Canada. Some auto manufacturing companies have even offered to retool their plants to produce these items instead. How soon can the government get this initiative off the ground? Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland joins me now from the foyer of the House of Commons. The government announced a plan to ramp up production of medical supplies like ventilators and face masks. How quickly can, for example, an auto parts plant retool to start producing ventilators? You know, Joyce, that is something which is being explored even as we speak. I have to say, you know, these are very worrying times and something which has given me a lot of hope and inspiration this week has been seeing how Canadian companies, Canadian scientists have been just racing to volunteer to use all of their ingenuity and all of their skill to help our country overcome this challenge. It's really, it's very thrilling to me. I am really grateful and we're lucky to be a country that still has a real manufacturing capacity, that still has great engineers and scientists. So they are working at it 24-7. I get just a million emails of people making offers. And the other thing to mention is we do also have companies like Thornhill Medical in my own riding, which are currently manufacturing ventilators. And those companies also who are making them today are ramping up their production. Do we really have a clear picture of how many people have coronavirus if spouses of people with the virus aren't being tested or people without a travel history? 
Uh, some people without travel histories are being tested. Um, Dr. Tam has been very clear about how you know, we are testing the more high-risk groups. That includes people who are in hospital with some sort of a respiratory illness. It includes any medical worker who shows any signs of symptoms. And one of the things that's worth really explaining is the value of testing is so that we can do tracing. And so that's why it's really important to test the most high-risk communities first so that your, all the people who do the tracing, which is both very important and very labor-intensive, can be deployed to trace where we find people. Having said that, Canada for sure is ramping up testing, and we are testing a lot, and that's a good thing. But do we have enough test kits, enough lab technicians? To both, I would say yes and yes. And I would also say how we need to think about this is we need to be looking to the future and looking to the need to develop surge capacity. What all of the experts are saying is this is going to get worse before it gets better. All of us, and I really, I am so impressed by the efforts I've seen from all Canadians this week. You know, people really are practicing social distancing. People are working hard to keep themselves and their neighbors healthy and safe. And that will help. It will help us to flatten the curve. But even if we all do our best, which we are, it is going to get worse before it gets better. And so for us, and we had a long discussion uh, in cabinet, in cabinet committee, many discussions actually this week around what we are doing to be sure that we have surge capacity in Canada. And that means we need the ventilators, we need the test kits, we need the protective equipment for all of the medical workers. It also means we need medical personnel. Another thing that we need to be able to do, and I have to say I am just so grateful to see the level of collaboration across the country is an ability to be prepared as necessary to move resources across the country where we need to do that. I also really want to say what a fantastic job provincial leadership, premiers of provinces and territories across the country are doing. We are seeing a lot of them prepare provincial medical systems for that potential surge. And that has meant taking some difficult decisions, like saying to people, you can't have your elective surgery. That is real leadership, and I'm very grateful. So one of the biggest challenges in this crisis is, is weighing the economy and people's health. Your government has pledged $82 billion in aid. 55 billion of that is tax deferrals. Only 27 billion is for direct aid to businesses and individuals, is that really enough or is this just the beginning? Well, first of all, Joyce, I would say that businesses feel not having to pay tax right away is a real source of support. And I've heard from a lot of businesses who see that as a very positive step. There has also been a lot of liquidity support from our government from the Bank of Canada, and that is really important too. The $27 billion is mostly 
direct money to go directly into the pockets of Canadians who either have lost their jobs or can't go to work because they are self-isolating or they are caring for someone who is self-isolating or as many parents are experiencing, they need to take care of a child who can't be in school. So that is very important, very valuable. Is this just a first step? Look, Joyce, I think no one has a crystal ball, but we do know that this virus is going to get worse before it gets better, and that suggests that the economic, you know, that we are not at the end of the economic impact. What I will say is our government is absolutely ready and prepared to do whatever it takes to keep our economy strong. You know, the, the metaphor I use a little bit is it's like weathering the storm. Because as you point out, there's a little bit of a paradox here that to fight the virus, to keep Canadians healthy and safe, what we need to do actually is shut things down, right? We are giving people advice which tends to lead to a decrease in economic activity. And that's what we have to do. And I know people understand that and support it. So what we need to do is get through that period and then be in a position so that the Canadian economy can come roaring back when we are through that period. And I am confident we can do it. Your government made the decision last week to close the Canada-US border. Like, why now? Why did it take so long to decide to close the border? You said it was because of trade and the supply chain, but now you found a solution. So why couldn't this have been done, for instance, weeks ago? So first of all, Joyce, please don't call it closing the Canada-US border. Um, we are very emphatic that this is about restricting non-essential travel. This is about saying to people, now is not the time to make a tourist trip. Now is not the time to cross the border for recreation. And it's a very important distinction because the lives of so many Canadians and Americans require frequent border crossing. I mean, our grocery stores would run out of food without those trade flows, so would our drugstores. So it is very important to be clear, this is about restricting non-essential travel, but being sure that trade continues unimpeded and, 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 and all, the, all the essential travel continues unimpeded. Why did it take so long? Well, look, I would challenge the premise of that question, that it took a long time. But I, and I 100% uh, would, you know, defend for hours if you would listen to me that long, um, being careful and taking care to reach an arrangement with the Canada-US border which was reciprocal and collaborative with the United States. And the reason for that is it was so important for us to achieve two things at the same time that we restrict the non-essential travel, but we keep the trade flows going. So there was a certain delicacy to managing that, and I am really, really frankly relieved that we have done that, and I do want to really thank our American neighbors for being great partners in sorting this out. Thank you, Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland. I know you're very busy. I hope you get to go home and see your children. I hope to see them one day again also, Joyce. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deputy Prime Minister. Coming up, 
As most provinces in Canada declare states of emergencies, do more steps need to be taken to slow the spread of the coronavirus. New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs joins us next. Stay here with Question Period. Welcome back to Question Period. New Brunswick is just one of many provinces that has declared a public health emergency as the number of coronavirus cases continues to climb across the country, despite widespread physical distancing. Canada's international borders have already closed, as have many restaurants and stores. What more can the government do to stop the spread? Do provinces need to lock down their borders. Joining me now is New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs. Uh, he's joining us from Fredericton. Thank you for being there, uh, Premier. You were disappointed last week that people in your province weren't taking the recommendations of social distancing seriously. Did you see any difference between the time you announced uh, the, your measures and now? Uh, yes, I have indeed, and, and the difference has been we're getting a lot of question now, uh, questions uh, coming to say directly, what, 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 what do I need to do here? What do I need to follow? Um, I'm running a business. Uh, what are, what's the social distancing aspect? How do I follow the guidelines? So, yeah, our, our intensity level has ramped up dramatically, and that's exactly what we needed to have happen. Now we'll have to watch, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll kind of manage and, and uh, survey different operations to, follow, to ensure that the guidelines are being followed. But I feel that we have, uh, we've certainly uh, attracted the necessary attention to, to make this uh, um, in a better state going forward. Yeah, so I, I seem to have detected a little bit of impatience from you uh, when you announced that last Thursday. So would you consider fining the, those people who aren't following public health recommendations? Uh, you know, I will continue to, to make the necessary decisions in order to ensure that we follow the rules uh, and that citizens understand there's a sense of urgency here. Um, that was the issue of, of moving forward yesterday. It was is to let people understand that this is this, this isn't a drill. This is not an exercise. This is this is real life, real time, real life, and uh, and we need to be be cognizant of that. So I, I, I'm hopeful that this will um, put the necessary steps in place that people will then be just asking, what can I do to help? How do I change this? How do I change my habits? And, uh, and we'll move forward. But, but we will continue to monitor and we will continue to implement measures as necessary uh, to ensure that, that we, we understand the severity and compliance is, is uh, an absolute, not a recommendation, but a requirement. So, but your province still has fewer cases than other provinces, for instance, uh, Alberta, uh, Ontario, British Columbia. Would you consider a lockdown of your province like some uh, states have done? Sure. I mean, we have to consider any moves as, as is progressives. Um, um, you know, we, it, it, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're likely, I guess, to see a growth. I mean, the, the chief health officer would say this, this is only the beginning. Uh, we're going to see our caseloads go up. But if we can flatten this curve, and you've heard many people refer to that, but it's ensuring that our healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed to the point where we're making decisions based on who lives and who doesn't, uh, because we have we have such demands in the system. We're trying to manage that so that we don't ever get in that position. And so I think people, it's kind of the the whole thing. It's like the short-term pain for a long-term gain okay. scenario, and we're just starting. We're just getting into this. So let's get our protocols in place now. Let's not uh, go a week or two down the road and say, I wish I'd have done something differently. Yes, but earlier this year, your province closed emergency rooms 
uh, overnight because you did not have the resources you said to keep ERs open 24-7. Now, do you feel that you have the resources you need to deal, for instance, with a public health crisis, God forbid, if it should happen in your province? Well, the situation, you know, in looking at how we can utilize resources better was part of getting better primary care to individuals and, and providing the service levels and raising the whole service level. What this situation does is, is all of that, that is, is in, the, in, the, in hindsight now in terms of, of any changes in that regard, and, and we're not moving forward with those in, in any case. But what this does is, is it actually puts the focus in one area. So it does mean that elective surgeries, elective, you know, even visits for primary care that are not, um, you know, uh, critical, they're all being changed now. So doctors are prioritizing on this particular initiative. And we're, we're reallocating resources, we're moving people um, to ensure that we have that capability. So uh, what this says is we have a singular focus right now, and that focus is life and death situations. And this, this COVID-19 uh, situation is, is just that. So it is our priority, it will get the focus, and has, has and will continue to get the focus across this province. So one way to control that curve, we know, is those hotlines. So people can call and say, listen, I'm feeling such uh, as this way or that way. These 811 have long, long waits, not only in your province, in the province of Ontario where we are, people don't get the answer. At the news conference you were at on Thursday, somebody said it takes three days to get an answer, hours to wait on the line before you get your information. Is there not a way for the provinces to have these hotlines be a little bit more effective so that more people can get their questions answered? Yes, uh, we've doubled the capacity there and we're, we have a new online system that, that is uh, starting up today which allows people to self-diagnose online. Uh, the, the challenge we have, it's, it's not any different than what we're seeing that run on grocery stores, you know, the run on, on different commodities. That there isn't a supply issue here, it's a, it's a buying issue. It's a it's people calling in to get information as opposed to I have symptoms, I need I need health requirement. Uh, that is why 811 is so backed up, is because people aren't calling with uh, with a health concern. They're calling with I need to know more. Well, we have other uh, contacts for that. We have our own website that is 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 full of information uh, that people can access uh, on on any on any category or details of this of this particular health crisis. And that's what we're encouraging people: don't call if you don't have symptoms. Call if uh, go to our website, go to our GMB website, go to uh, other sources, but don't use the emergency call system, the 811, just for general information. That is causing real patients who have symptoms to sit on the line and wait. That's Premier Blaine Higgs who joined us in Fredericton. Thank you so much for this, Premier. You're very welcome. Have a, have a good day. Coming up, businesses are shutting down, Canadians are losing their jobs. Can the government's $82 billion aid package turn things around? Two experts from the Canadian business community join me next. Stay right here with Question Period. Clearly, the impacts of this pandemic have been profound and will continue to be profound. Households and businesses are already feeling the effects. Our government is prepared to do whatever it takes to keep our economy strong and stable, whatever it takes. Measures intended to keep Canadians safe from the coronavirus are having a devastating impact on the Canadian economy. Tourism is shut down, restaurants and stores are closing, companies like auto manufacturers and airlines have laid off thousands of people. 
the government of Canada is pledging $82 billion to help businesses and individuals. But is it enough? Is there anything the government can really do to prevent further layoffs? Joining me now are two representatives from the business community. Goldie Hyder is the president and CEO of the Business Council of Canada. And Dan Kelly is the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Gentlemen, hello. Thank you for being there. Goldie, I'm going to start with you. This past week, the federal government put $82 billion on the table for business and individuals. And since then, in just a few days, there have been thousands and thousands of layoffs in the auto industry, Air Canada, Cirque du Soleil. I mean, I could go on and on. Is the task so enormous that $82 billion are just not enough? Well, look, Joyce, one of the things about uh, getting this uh, virus into Canada when we did is we can learn a lot from what has happened to those who've already had it. We've seen China being able to mitigate it with some very aggressive actions, but we've also seen countries that didn't respond fast enough, like Italy. So we have to get ahead of this virus. What we have, first and foremost, is a health crisis. This is not a financial crisis in terms of how money at the problem is not going to solve the, the critical thing. We have to make sure that we do everything we can to mitigate uh, the health risks that are in the country. And that means acting decisively and acting strongly. Uh, look, these politicians and uh, public servants and healthcare workers, uh, they should all be applauded in, 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 in terms of what they're facing. Nobody signed up for this. But history will judge you not if you underreacted, not if you overreacted. The money that's come out so far represents less than 3.5% of our GDP spend. Germany and Spain and UK are well over 14 to 16% of their GDP spend. So are we going to need more investments? Of course we are. Do I expect more investments? Yes, I do. But we first need to mitigate the health crisis, and that's something that I think we have to get our heads around in terms of how to do that as one country, not as uh, 10 provinces and three territories and a federal government. And Dan, you know, there are some worrisome figures. Like past week alone, there were 500 EI applications. That's half, uh, 500,000. That's half a million people, 500,000. By comparison, last year, for the same week, there were 27,000. So is this the new reality? I mean, it is scary. Is this the new reality? What are you hearing from your members? You know, it is absolutely frightening what's happening on the economic front. Of course, this is a healthcare emergency, but it's creating a, a huge economic challenge for small and medium-sized firms across the country. The layoffs that we've seen are a drop in the bucket of what is coming. Business owners, small business owners, my members, are the one, are telling us that they are weeks away from having to give their employees uh, the, their layoff notices because they have very few other options. The government has adopted a couple of good measures, uh, including a 10% wage subsidy, uh, but countries around the world have announced wage subsidies of 75, 80%, 90%, even 100% in some cases. Uh, those are the measures that Canada desperately needs that we don't have days to wait. The, once the employees laid off, they're not coming back uh, very quickly. Goldie, of, the, of those $82 billion we were talking about, $55 billion is, is tax deferral. So it seems that it's extending the pain until August. Now, does that really spell relief for your members? Well, it's, that's really about individuals, right? It's about people paying their taxes instead of uh, April 30th uh, and paying them in August. All that number really represents choice. People should think of it as an interest-free loan. Uh, from the federal government, a line of credit, if you will, that says, don't worry about paying your taxes until then. The real issue here, as I said, is we're trying to manage a, a health crisis. What we need to do is stop the health crisis. We need to put all our emphasis on the healthcare side of this thing. Our hospitals and our, and our, and our system is, was already stretched before 
this virus came, they're going to be under even greater pressures now. We are today where Italy was two weeks ago. How we respond to the health crisis will allow us to recover faster on the economic step. Remember the stimulus spend that took place after the, the financial crisis? It was a job creation program. We don't need a job creation program today. We're going to need one soon enough. But what we really need is to make sure that people are able to get their essentials, their food, their, you know, their, their, their medicines and so forth. So let's contain the health crisis. And on that part, I think we need decisive, strong, go big type leadership from the federal government to effectively consider declaring a public health emergency and allowing us to do everything we can to mitigate the health risks so that we can make the investments in the economy and the economic recovery sooner rather than having to wait to see how this all plays out. So this may be what I'm hearing from you is that this may be too too little, Dan. I, I want to ask you, in its aid package, Ottawa is offering small businesses up to $25,000 per company per, for, to offset wages. Now, it, 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 it seems to me, is, is that figure too small? I mean, 10% of, of wage subsidy doesn't sound like, like a lot to me. No, look, we, we did a survey of our members across the country, and we found uh, that 25% of small businesses said that the business will not survive even one month uh, if, they're, if they have a significant drop in business income. And that's happening right now. I have tons of members who are telling us that they are absolutely 100% shut down as a result of, of what's happening with COVID-19. I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't be shut down, obviously, given the health emergency. What I am saying is that the decisions they're making today are whether to hang on to their staff for another week or few days or to lay them off today. That 10% figure really needs to be 75, 80%, uh, as was announced uh, just uh, on Friday uh, from the UK government, in order to stave off unemployment. My main goal right now is to keep employees with their businesses through this crisis, even if the employee is not needed, even if they're 100% idle. Uh, if, they, if we can do that, once the emergency phase is over, those employees will go back to work and our recovery will be an awful lot quicker than if they're laid off, put on unemployment. And the, and the personal stress that that has on the worker who has received an unemployment notice Gosh, that, that we can avoid if we can keep them attached to their employers. Joyce, if I can just say what Dan is saying applies to small business, medium business, and large businesses as well. And we are seeing it in other countries. Denmark, Ireland, Sweden, Japan, and others have gone to essentially not creating new programs. Let's make it really easy. Pay the employer to keep the employees. Uh, the burden on people's financial situation should be released, uh, relaxed a little bit when you consider the relief on mortgages. Uh, rent payments, uh, they're not going to be driving their cars as much, they're certainly not going out to eat or catch a show. So the financial requirements that people are going to be having is less than what they normally would have. Let's do everything we can to make sure that people are able to provide for themselves with their basic needs and contain the virus. Doing that is the best way. So this idea that we're going to you know, create business, uh, you know, uh, looking at how to build ventilators and all of that stuff, it's a mitigation strategy. It's not a containment strategy. We should do both. But recognize that the latter, uh, the former, excuse me, will take a lot longer to do. It's not like you're going to be able to take a car plant and convert it to a ventilator the service provider as quickly as people might think. So let's focus on the health crisis. And my message to all Canadians watching is we shouldn't have to have the government tell us what to do. We know what to do. Let's do it. I know that we will be talking about this for a little while longer. Thank you, Goldie Hyder and Dan Kelly. Thank you for this. Thank you. Anytime. Coming up, the government is ramping up production of key medical supplies to fight COVID-19. How quickly can factories like auto manufacturing plants pivot to build ventilators or make hand sanitizers instead? 
The Scrum weighs in with special guest, former health minister and former deputy prime minister, Anne McClellan. Stay right here with Question Period. Welcome back to Question Period. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is bringing back the House of Commons this week to get $82 billion worth of economic aid flowing to Canadians and businesses impacted by COVID-19. Many companies are completely shut down and thousands of Canadians have already lost their jobs. How quickly can the government get this legislation passed and when will the money end up in Canadians' pockets? Let's bring in the scrum. Annie Bergeron-Oliver is a reporter with CTV News. Glenn McGregor is CTV's senior political correspondent. Evan Solomon is the host of Power Play and normally the host of Question Period as well. He joins us from self-isolation at home. And our special guest this round is former health minister and deputy prime minister Anne McClellan. Welcome to all of you on this Sunday morning. Anne McClellan, let me start with you. How quickly can the Prime Minister get this aid package done? Uh, the House is coming back next week. And how soon will those Canadians and those Canadian businesses start to feel the relief? Well, actually, the legislation um, is going to happen very quickly. As I understand it, the House is coming back on Tuesday. Um, all the legislative uh, requirements passed on Tuesday go to the Senate. Royal assent, as far as I know, probably Wednesday afternoon, as soon as the Senate finishes its work. So that's a very fast process in these circumstances. Uh, how quickly people then start to see the benefits of, of those legislative changes depends on the implementation. And uh, I mean, obviously everybody in Ottawa working hard, working with their provincial counterparts. Uh, and I, I think at this point, Joyce, we can't say exactly when people are going to start to see the benefits flow, but I think you're going to see this government uh, act as quickly as it can. Uh, Evan, are we, you know, are all parties on board? It seems the big word in Ottawa here is collaboration. Is that what we're going to see on Tuesday and Wednesday? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, there's going to be a lot of COVID morning quarterbacking one day. Did you do this fast enough for that? But right now there's a total unanimity. Uh, the opposition parties will support this. I don't think you're going to see any holdups in the Senate. By the way, we should also say that there's been incredible cooperation across party lines in the provinces as well. So you're really seeing, um, you know, in a federation and, and a loose-knit federation like we have with open federalism, uh, we're seeing incredible cooperation to get things done, especially to get this money flowing urgently. I think one of the factors we also have to take into consideration is the fact that our public servants are at home for the first time and this is a brand new reality for them. They're not used to being at home, working from home, not being able to talk to their managers, not being able to talk to their cabinet ministers and that changes how quickly work can get done. You know, there's already guidelines from Treasury Board telling people that if you're not an essential staff member, you shouldn't be spending time on the actual server, which is where you can get all that critical information. So this is a key part that I think a lot of people don't know is how much longer will it take the public public servants to be able to actually implement all of these changes and can they handle the capacity? We looked at EI, 500,000 people 500, in one week up from 27,000 the week last year. So how are they going to be able to handle this capacity? Yeah, and that number is only going to go mm -hmm. up. We know that's only a small fraction and it's going to, at the end of the day, be an enormous percentage of our workforce really that is unemployed, mm -hmm. that is going to be slamming 
the employment uh, in insurance uh, system, uh, which is mostly automated, but still there is going to be a component of uh, having to issue checks, having to process all this. I think people at the best of times, people don't get their employment insurance hmm. checks all that quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to, there's, there's a cooling off period, which has been waived in this case, but then there is still a wait uh, in, for the paperwork to go through. It's going to happen again. I don't think people are going to be getting checks in the you know next week or you know even if they get this legislation not through, fast, it's basically it's gonna, not it's gonna, fast it's going to take some time uh, and this will be uh, there will be questions I think about whether this was the right approach. Government has decided that it's better to use the existing infrastructure of federal programs like the Child Canada Child Benefit, like EI, like the GST tax credit, rather than creating a new system as we're discussing in the United States to just issue everybody a check mm -hmm. and then worry about clawing it back later on income tax. And also, uh, Anne McClellan, I want to bring you in on this. The government is ramping up production of medical <coughs> supplies like ventilators and face masks because there is a severe lack of those in Canada and probably in, in many other countries as well. Now, will we start seeing, you know, as we're starting to see cases in Europe increase, this may be in our future. Um, do you feel confident that we will have these supplies when needed? Look, I can only, uh, I suppose, uh, reflect on what the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada is saying, her provincial and territorial counterparts, the Minister of Health. There's no question that there's an anticipation that there will be more of virtually everything needed. We're hearing that from emergency room doctors and elsewhere. Um, but this whole crisis has moved so quickly, but I think you see the only government response possible, which is the ramping up of Canada industrial complex to make sure that you are able to convert manufacturers from whatever they were manufacturing last week to ventilators or masks or, or whatever the need is. But I think if you listen to the uh, government of Canada and their conversations with their provincial counterparts. They are very aware of the likely pressures that are going to be on the healthcare system. They have a good handle on what is needed. Now it's a case of getting, uh, either producing them here at home, which would be the best course of action, then you control your own destiny, or making sure that you're getting those supplies from somewhere else around the world. And this is why physical distancing is so important and why the government is hammering home that, because exactly. it's about managing resources. We've been asking the federal government for days exactly how many ventilators are there in Canada, and finally yesterday they said 5,000. Now, of course, that has to be divided up across the country. I heard one estimate that potentially there were 1,400 here in Ontario. So are there enough where we need them and can we hold off on major and there, cases and, and some of them are already being used. But I want to I bring Evan here because the test kits are also a big issue. And you know, Evan, you know better than anyone how long it's taking for Canadians to get their test results back. Yeah, and, and I, first of all, we should all just uh, thank the incredible frontline workers like the nurses, the doctors, the teams that are working here. This is not to criticize the tireless, exhausting, personal um, sacrifices that they're making. Uh, it's incredible work. But as an example, you know, my wife was tested last Sunday night, like a week ago Sunday, 
in Ottawa, we have had no results at all. Now, what does that say? It says a couple of things. One, the system is very clearly overwhelmed. Number two, the information is changing. They told her 24 hours. It's been seven days. But three, the information that we're getting here, Joyce, is obviously very old in terms of the number of cases, the number of tests, and how many people we have. So there's a, there's a big lag. But look, two things are going to matter really big time now as we go forward. Uh, for the government's response, both on a health crisis, producing ventilators, and getting that $82 billion out the door, which is one speed. How fast can you do it? But the next thing is time. And, and the longer this goes, the more we're going to need. More ventilators, more tests, more masks, and more money. The finance minister was clear that $82 billion is only the first tranche. Businesses, People are out there listening to us right now, like me, many people in isolation, and wondering where the heck that paycheck's coming from. Uh, this has been an enormously unprecedented week for this government, but it's going to have to be months of this kind, and we are in a new economic and a, and a new health world, and they've got to prepare for that. I think there's going to be a lot more aid coming. Glenn, um, how has the Prime Minister handled this? Because since he's been in self-isolation, yep. he has been the most present than he has right. since the beginning of this year. Yeah. So very quickly. Daily, daily press conference he's having for, for, the, uh, for the last, I think, eight days now. Uh, part of that is to reassure Canadians that he's in control, that he's, that he's actively involved, that he's on it. But another part of this we haven't really talked about is the fact that he himself has been in self-isolation uh, because his wife has tested positive. And I think a part of this messaging is they want to make sure that people can see that he's healthy, and that he's still working uh, and because if he didn't show up one day let's say tomorrow he doesn't do a press press conference the rumors would run wild about his health lead to all manner yeah. of speculation even groundless speculation yeah. and that would not be helpful. so leading leading perhaps by example so this is all the time we have thank you and mcclellan the rest of the scrum will thank stick you. around coming up the canada u.s border is closed to all non-essential travel will provincial borders be next Former U.S. Ambassador to Canada Bruce Heyman joins the Scrum to weigh in. Stay right here with Question Period. The entire world is dealing with COVID-19 and Canada and the United States are no exception. But we are working collaboratively together to face this challenge head on. Canada is tightening its international borders to stop travelers from bringing in more cases of coronavirus. The Canada-U.S. border is now closed to all tourists. Only tourists, but essential trade and businesses will get through. Even irregular border crossers are being turned away for fear of the virus. Will this help stop the spread, or is it already too late? Let's bring back the scrum. Annie Bergeron-Oliver is back. Glenn McGregor is back. And Evan Solomon joins us again. And our special guest this round is former U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman. Hello, Bruce. Nice to have Hello. you on the show. Now, let us know who is going to get through uh, that border. We know that the Canadian and, and American authorities don't want to disrupt commerce or the supply chain. So who gets through? I, look, I think business needs to continue to operate. We're going to see medicines and foods and equipment and supplies which go across our border both ways. That has to continue. I think the prime minister actually and the deputy minister did a fantastic job in prioritizing taking care of Canadians' health and lives, keeping business going, 
and then executing it in a way that didn't disrupt the imperial uh, president uh, down in Washington. And they put it all together, and I think it was a good execution. But the important message for Americans and Canadians is stay at home, don't do unnecessary travel, don't be together with large groups or even small groups of people now. We've got to flatten this curve. We've got to slow down the spread of this virus. And Annie, what about provinces? Should we be doing that in Canada? No cross-border or province to crossing into other provinces? Well, we're already seeing some provinces do that. So, for example, the Northwest, Ter Northwest Territories have now done that. In British Columbia, for example, there are uh, doctors who are calling on the provincial government and the federal government to lock down those borders and to even put in place mandatory quarantines. I think there are a lot of people who are concerned about how easy it is to go from one border to the next. But at this point, the government is saying that they believe that what they have in place, which is a strong warning that you should not do any type of travel, even outside of your own city, is basically prohibited. And that's what Trudeau said the other day when we were asking that exact question. He said, our advice is do not travel. And that also applies to uh, interprovincial borders. Uh, Evan, I want to bring you in because you're, you're home, you're in self-isolation. Should there be lockdowns? Should our uh, provinces, cities and federal government sort of crack down on us? I think there's a real concern that um, we're basically already there. Why don't they just do that and do the 15-day lockdown? There's a lot of question of enforcement. You see provinces like Saskatchewan who are saying that police will enforce certain things if people are busting out of quarantine. And you're seeing that all over provinces and, and certain states. But just one thing to say, look, the messaging is key, and, and Bruce Heyman just said, you know, we've got to flatten the curve and plank the curve, and we've got to start physical distancing. But the contrast between the U.S. leadership and the Canadian leadership is stark. Look, Donald Trump is out there every day, in my view, uh, without any medical authority, promoting medicines and giving people false hope that his own chief medical officer, Dr. Fauci, is saying is not true, uh, whereas the Canadians are following the medical advice. Now, you can argue that Canada might uh, should enforce things more quickly or do things more quickly, but we are giving Canadians uh, real information. The U.S. is a totally different picture. Their leadership is not giving the kind of uh, medically fact checked information. To me, that's kind of stunning. And the closing of the border is important because the U.S. is going to have a very different picture than Canada. And I think it's probably from a medical point of view, a very, very prudent thing and a complicated thing that the government's done. So, Glenn, this, it's not really the closing of the border. The, the, the government corrects us when we say the border sure. is closing because right. it is so scary for them to, to, to stop any commerce or but is it to our advantage in Canada to sort of restrict uh, travel at that border because the Americans have, you know, a bigger a patchwork of, of, of rules out there? Sure. I mean, there's that concern that uh, the, the, the epidemic is not being handled as well in the United States as it is here. And so theoretically, if you had Americans coming here to do tourism, although that seems like a very unlikely possibility at this point, that it could make it worse for us. Uh, more so in the case of the irregular border crossers that the government finally took action on this week and said they're going to be taken back to the U.S. And that was a case where the flow was almost entirely in this direction. People were crossing in Roxham Road in Quebec uh, and would have to be taken into quarantine and potentially provided with medical care, whereas you, the Americans were not facing that same additional burden. So I think in that case, yeah, definitely was to our advantage to, to close that border there. 
Uh, Bruce Heyman, physical distancing is really key, uh, we're told, uh, to control the curve. Um, is it, are, are people heeding that call in the States? I know that you're home, you're working from home. Chicago has is, is got, you know, sort of some rules going, but are, are Americans in, by and large listening to this? I would say, as Evan said, it's an uneven process because we lack the leadership at the federal level to dictate the right policies and procedures that should be implemented. He has virtually done a 50-state go-it-alone go strategy. And so what we're seeing is very different outcomes state by state. In Illinois, we are now at stay-at-home. But I'll tell you, I don't think the governor actually wanted to get here at this point. It was just a few weeks ago that we had canceled the St. or a week ago, canceled St. Patrick's Day parade, but then everybody went to the bars and packed them elbow to elbow, and he had to then close the bars and restaurants down the next day. So this is tick, 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 escalating. We're moving very fast, and we need national leadership now. Unfortunately, um, I've got the state of New York running around the world trying to buy ventilators who can pay the highest price and he's going to be competing with some of our poorer states, which in a week or two will need those ventilators. So, you know, we do lack the federal leadership we need, but uh, the states are stepping forward now. And I think exactly to what Bruce is talking about, I think this is the reason why you're starting to hear a much more tougher tone coming from the health minister. You know, we heard her yesterday saying that people really need to be physical distancing. People need to stay home. Otherwise, they will have to crack down. And so she is now basically issuing a threat to Canadians right. that if you do not stay home, you do not listen to advice, that they will have to crack down. And I think that reason is because, as Bruce was saying, we're seeing this patchwork. We're also seeing some people pay attention to the rules, some people not. There was a big St. Patrick's Day party here in Ontario at a university this week mm -hmm. and I think in the first week of self-isolation or physical distancing this is an easier thing to do but when this gets into week two week three week four exactly. that is going to become more so complicated do you yeah, think it right. will only be two weeks or are no. they just telling us two weeks now and then in two weeks well, they'll it's, tell it's, us four it's weeks gonna, and... it's going to be longer I mean I, I, the, the the health minister has already speculated publicly about this being months mm -hmm. uh, how many months we don't know but it's looking very much like the school year is in jeopardy for a lot, certainly for uh, for secondary school students and elementary school students. Um, does it stretch into the summer? We don't know how this disease will will react, uh, how the virus will react to heat in the summer. But we've seen lots of cases in other countries that are warm. We've seen cases in Florida. We've seen cases in Australia. Tom Hanks famously getting infected while he was there. So uh, it's it's anybody's guess at this point how long it goes, but uh, I think it's going to very very likely stretch into May easily. And this is going to be a conversation that we're going to have for weeks and months ahead. Thank you, Ambassador Heyman, Evan, Glenn, and Annie. Thanks to all of you for watching. We will be back here, hopefully, in seven short days.